Welcome to the Burnett Breakdown, where I, Hunter Burnett, keep up with the news so that you don't have to. This week, we're going to be talking about interest rates, Ukraine, and nickel. On Wednesday, Federal Reserve officials voted to raise interest rates a quarter of a percentage point. Uh, This was an expected raise, and they also set about increases uh, of six more times this year. So they laid out a a plan to increase this interest rate six more times this year. Um, This new increase of a a quarter percentage point puts the range uh, between uh, 0.25% and 0.50%. Also, uh, Jerome Powell, the uh, Fed chairman, mentioned uh, that uh, incited the tight labor market as a reason for uh, raising interest rates. And so uh, the Fed is choosing to raise these interest rates uh, due to inflation in order to address uh, inflation. And I want to just briefly kind of give a an overview about what these interest rates are, because you'll be hearing all about them over the course of the next year, especially if the Federal Reserve is expected to increase uh, this uh, 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 interest rates six more times. All right, so when people talk about the Fed raising or lowering interest rates, what they are talking about is the federal funds rate. This federal funds rate is a range that is that is set by the Federal Open Market Committee, or the FOMC. So what they do is it's actually it's just a suggestion. They will suggest a range in which banks can do what is called um, you know overnight lending, which I'll explain in a second. And so it is such just a suggestion by the FOMC. However, they do have the ability to intervene and can intervene when the banks uh, deviate too far from this range. And so, like I mentioned earlier, the range now is 0.25 percent to 0.5 percent is the range in which these banks can lend to each other. So what I mean by that is the uh, these banks, these ma- massive banks uh, institutions must have equal reserves in a Federal Reserve account to a percent of their deposits. So they have to keep basically cash on hand uh, of a certain amount of the cash that they have deposited with them. And this, um, these reserves, uh, if they have excess, so more than they are required to have, then what they can do is lend out the excess to banks that are anticipating a shortfall or to not meet that level. And so they will loan that excess reserve to other banks and they will loan it and they don't loan it for free. They will loan it at this rate that the Federal Reserve is uh, is setting. And so the 0.25 to 0.5% is the interest rate that they will charge other banks for these excess reserves. And so uh, it is a very kind of a specific uh, interest rate that they are um, that they are uh, raising right now. It's not every interest rate of every loan. It's a specific interest rate that they are raising. But this interest rate impacts the interest rates of everything else because uh, the higher these interest rates are, the more expensive it is for the banks to you know, take on this money and and take on these loans. Which means that uh, they are going to up their interest rates across the board. Again, the the purpose of this is to essentially limit the amount of liquidity in uh, the markets, uh, you know, so to speak. They are trying to uh, tamp down on demand essentially in order to tamp down on inflation. So they're trying to limit the amount of uh, cash on the market, so to speak, uh, so that uh, inflation can not get too wild. Um, and so, uh, with six more raises, this is actually one of the most aggressive. 
uh, times that the uh, Fed has been in recent memory. I believe in the last 15 years they haven't been uh, they haven't raised rates this quickly. Uh, but that goes to show you uh, the importance that they are placing on addressing inflation. And in fact, in his uh, comments, Jerome Powell, the Fed chairman, uh, mentioned a tight labor market as one of the kind of reasons for and factors that they are considering in inflation. And that was that was kind of a uh, a shift where uh, so far these uh, um, uh, rises in prices have been basically, I don't want to say blamed, but have largely been contributed to supply chain issues that were, were supposed to resolve themselves. And now that he's uh, recognizing that this is also a tight labor market, that, that he's considering other factors as well, meaning this inflation may be a little bit more um, widespread and uh, and uh, long-term than they originally thought, and that is evident in their uh, switch. Last year, it was projected that they, they were projecting to only raise rates three times this year, and now they've uh, essentially doubled that. And so they're beginning to really uh, take inflation serious. And so um, we will see where this goes from here. Again, I, I kind of stand by what I've said, that supply chain and tight labor market are kind of the two factors right now. Uh, the Fed, uh, this raising interest rates will, you know, like I said, tamp down on demand uh, from the amount of kind of liquidity in the market. Um, but it is not uh, going to be able to solve those supply chain issues or get people to start working. So at the end of the day, uh, this is still going to be limited in its impact. Um and it really can risk an, a recession if they move too aggressively, which is what they're trying to avoid. So they're trying to avoid a recession while also uh, trying to avoid inflation, and that is a tough uh, kind of line to walk, and I would, I would argue a, a, a near impossible one for the Fed to walk. In a similar vein, uh, the average rate for a 30-year mortgage uh, topped 4% for the first time since May 2019. Um, so beginning of this year, the 30-year uh, average mortgage rate was 3.22%. Um, this was f uh, higher than the previous um, uh, January, with record lows being uh, set in January of 2021 at 2.65%. Um, so these uh, mortgage rates have topped 4% for the first time. So we add these uh, mortgage rates, these uh, lifting of mortgage rates, higher mortgage rates on top of the already tight uh, housing market where you have uh, houses that have uh, gone up substantially in value, uh, which, uh, I mean, housing prices are just have been crazy for the last uh, year and a half, two years uh, at this point. And so you have more expensive homes, and now it is more expensive to get a mortgage. The interest you're paying more interest on it, um, and this is this was before the recent Fed rate raise, likely meaning that this um, these mortgage average mortgage rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage will actually continue to rise, leading again to uh, more expensive mortgages, more expensive, uh, more pay, uh, higher payments on uh, houses. Uh, this is a particularly a big deal with uh, first-time home buyers. So, uh, if you have already owned a home, you have, and say you sold that home in the last you know couple of years, you probably have uh, equity and plenty of equity uh, on that home that you made, and so you can now take that equity and buy a a put down a, a down payment, and that is is going to be a sub substantially easier for you. Whereas if you're a first-time home buyer, you don't necessarily have that equity, and so this is um, going to be good if you own a home. Uh, obviously not the interest rates because uh, you can't refinance, but uh, the rise in uh, home prices is going to be good if you own a home. 
Uh, however, first-time home buyers, this is really going to hit hard, uh, which has kind of trickle-down effects because that means that they're not going to be able to uh, build wealth uh, as early on as uh, previous uh, kind of generations or uh, people who are already homeowners. And so uh, this could have further effects down the road, uh, but that mortgage rate is going to continue to rise and housing prices, it's look like uh, it's looking like is going to continue are going to continue to rise. And so that's just another kind of you know part of this inflation story especially because uh, rents will probably rise right along with them, uh, as we've already started to see. And so that's going to also contribute to uh, higher inflation. Moving on to uh, Russia now. So uh, the House uh, of Representatives, U.S. House of Representatives, voted to stop normal trade relations with Russia. Uh, so they decide to end these normal trade relationships with both Russia and Belarus. Uh, Belarus has been, you know, an ally in for, of Russia's f- throughout this whole process, and Russia has been using Belarus to uh, launch invasions from. And what this does is this essentially allows Biden to now put higher tariffs on goods. So it's uh, another way of kind of sanctioning uh, Russia and the Russian economy. Uh, it is going to make Russian goods uh, that much more expensive and probably tampen dem- demand uh, on them if they if demand even exists. I mean, we're still at a point where it, you're kind of, you know, shunned if you uh, companies are shunned if they want to buy uh, any Russian goods or, or do any business with Russia whatsoever. Uh, so this is uh, it still needs to pass the Senate and then it will need to be signed into office by uh, President Biden. But he is expected to do so. Um, how much uh, impact this will actually have is I, I'm not sure how much impact it will have. Uh, a lot of the impact, economic impact of sanctions have already been put in place, uh, but it's a, it's another step of, of punishing Russia for their invasion of Ukraine. And speaking of the United States Congress, uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine actually spoke to the United States Congress on Wednesday. Uh, in his speech, he it was very directed towards the United States, uh, and, and uh, he knew exactly who he was speaking to. He brought up 9-11 and uh, Pearl Harbor attacks. And in his speech, he asked for a no-fly zone uh, uh, from NATO, um, but he said that he would take jets and anti-aircraft weapons as well. Uh, so this isn't shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, whether again, uh, he is doing everything that he can possibly do to save his country from uh, being ruled by Russia. So of course he's going to ask for everything. I mean, he it's either uh, survive and and ask for anything and everything that helps him survive, or be uh, him probably killed and his country taken over. And so. Uh, he doesn't care if the United States gets involved. He wants the United States to get involved. Okay, he's not worried about the United States. He's worried about his country, and he should be. Okay, he's worried about what is best for his country, the country that he rules. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that he's asking for a no-fly zone. Now, that doesn't mean the United States should give it. And uh, many uh, lawmakers after the speech said uh, that you know recognized the situation in Ukraine, but then you know also recognized that uh, no-fly zone is uh, is just uh, is not going to happen. And again, uh, we've talked about it before, but that is because a no-fly zone is basically ensuring uh, a war with Russia. Because in order to enforce a no-fly zone, you'd have to shoot down Russian uh, planes in the sky, uh, leading to you know Russian and NATO combat. And that would almost certainly be seen as an act of aggression by Russia, and would almost certainly start a war. And so that does. So just because President Zelensky uh, wanted one and called for one, doesn't mean that uh, he that the United States or NATO should provide it. Um, but again, it shouldn't come as a surprise that he was asking for it because this is his country at stake. But the speech did seem to work in that it uh, soon after Biden announced that there would be $800 million worth of uh, more military support going into Ukraine with the kind of the things that President Zelensky asked for. So a lot of anti-aircraft weapons. 
uh, that's going to be important because remember that uh, Russia was expected to basically have full air control at this point in the war. Very early on, they're expected to take over the skies, and they still have not been able to maintain air control. So these anti-aircraft weapons will continue to make that uh, be the case. However, uh, it does seem that the United States is still hesitant to send uh, fighter jets to Ukraine. They blocked uh, Poland from sending MiGs. They refused to help uh, Poland transfer MiGs to, uh, which is a, a type of fighter jet, to uh, Ukraine. I'm not sh- sure why the, they're so hesitant for this. Uh, it can it could possibly be because Russia, whether it's through back channels or whatever, has made clear that uh, any uh, jets uh, that are u- from other countries that are used in Ukraine and that are used to shoot down Russian uh, jets could very well be seen as an escalation by Russia, as uh, the NATO countries getting involved in the uh, the conflict, so maybe that's why they're so hesitant. Um, but nonetheless, uh, Biden also increased his his rhetoric uh, and by calling uh, Vladimir Putin a war criminal, which is was kind of an escalation in that rhetoric uh, up until this point. They've been a little more hesitant to say that they've seen war crimes happening, but now it seems that they are willing to and and pretty passionately saying that Vladimir Putin uh, is indeed a war criminal, uh, committing war crimes right now in Ukraine. And really, that should not come as much of a surprise, especially considering uh, the city of Marupol, I believe is how you pronounce it. it this is a southern Ukraine city. Uh, it's uh, near uh, the uh, Crimea Peninsula in, like I said, the south of Ukraine. And what this this uh, city has been surrounded by Russian forces and has essentially been cut off completely from uh, any from the outside world. So they uh, cannot get food and water in and out. They cannot get civilians uh, out for humanitarian reasons. Uh, so they are completely surrounded and cut off and are constantly and consistently been bom- being bombarded by Russian artillery. And uh, this is the, I mean, the situation in Marupol. There have been m- numerous uh, reporting from a couple of reporters that are still there. And it has just been um, brutal. I mean, it has been um, the the accounts have been de- describing this basically dead bodies being, you know, left in the street because no one can go and grab them because they don't want to risk their own lives. Uh, you have uh, people running out of food. Um, it just is a horrific situation. And on top of that, uh, news came out that the Russian forces had apparently bombed a theater in Marupol. Uh, where hundreds of civilians were sheltering. Uh, And not only that, but uh, satellite images showed that the word children were, was kind of labeled on each side of the theater uh, in Russian, uh, basically letting the Russians know that, hey, this building has children in it. Um, And in spite of that kind of, you know, basically plea to uh, not bomb it. Um, Russia chose to bomb it anyway. Uh, there's, It is unknown uh, how many survivors, if any, or how many there are from this theater attack. Uh, but when uh, President Biden is calling uh, Vladimir Putin a war criminal, I mean, this is a war crime. Uh, this is against any uh, of the international Geneva Conventions or war, you know, cool codes and laws and all, and all of that. Uh, this is against that. Uh, you're not supposed to attack civilians and uh, deliberately attacking civilians, especially when it is labeled as, uh, you know, having children in there. That is uh, absolutely a war crime. And uh, again, just the, the situation in Marupol is horrific. Um, and, I, and I will continue to, um, you know, plead uh, for prayer for Ukraine as we uh, continue to get news reports and that uh, let's hope that they can uh, continue to fight and successfully fight off the Russian invasion. 
And then finally, just one more note on Russia. Um, there was a an attack, uh, I believe it was on Monday. Uh, Russia attacked a military training site that was about 10 miles away from the Polish border. The, it was So the military training site was in Ukraine, but it was 10 miles away from Poland. In fact, there was a... There were videos of from Poland, so the video was taken in Poland, and you can actually see the attack happening uh, in the distance. And so that's how close it was to the border. This was a this is a particular importance because this was kind of right after the, it was kind of announced that the uh, NATO allies would continue to you know ship uh, military equipment and weapons and support into uh, Ukraine, and they're they're doing that largely through Poland. And so this was it's kind of you know stunned a lot of the Western world, not stunned is probably the wrong word, but it, it put a lot of people in the Western world on edge because this military training site was not really near any fighting whatsoever. It was kind of clearly targeted um, out of nowhere and um, and a large, you know, pers- a large part of the Western world believed that it was kind of seen as uh, a, a kind of a, a, sh- a warning shot, so to speak, against NATO uh, and for not getting involved. And again, it, it serves as a good reminder how quickly this situation could devolve to something much greater. Uh, so it's already just horrific, like I've mentioned with the, for the, uh, the Ukrainian people. Um, but in terms of the uh, Western world and NATO, uh, one, you know, convoy, uh, military weapons that at the Polish and Ukraine border, uh, say Russia wants to eliminate that, and so they shoot at that convoy uh, in that is still in Russian territory or uh, Polish territory. That is a an attack on NATO, and that could very le- uh, quickly lead to something worse, and NATO having to join the fight or uh, a, a NATO um, a, a military unit or something in Ukraine being uh, attacked, uh, or Russia getting aggressive and. Um, attacking uh, a NATO country like Poland for these kind of military uh, support um, convoys, this uh, all, all of that could quickly escalate the situation. And so any kind of warning shot, so to speak, like this, of this close to a NATO ally is, is always going to be kind of seen with a lot of uh, nerves, and it's gonna, going to be unnerving because of what it could possibly lead to. And then finally, uh, the last thing I want to talk about is something that was actually, it's been a couple weeks now, a week and a half maybe, uh, since this happened. But there was a recent uh, kind of wild event in the nickel market. Okay, so yes, you heard me right, the nickel market. Uh, That is, you know, the precious metal, nickel. Uh, In um, the markets for nickel, uh, there was huge price movements and uh, just a kind of wild event that took place on March 8th. Uh, so what happened is there is a, a company or a guy named, uh, and I may butcher these names, but Xing Guanda, he is a, a Chinese uh, kind of tycoon, a business tycoon. And through his company, uh, Xingshan Holding Group Company, he uh, basically put shorts on the price of nickel. Uh, so uh, you can nickel is traded on a futures you know on futures contracts, and so he was uh, sh- uh, basically making a bet that the price of nickel would go down. And so with a short, uh, this kind of was in the news with uh, this um, the Robinhood and a uh, GameStop trading from uh, last year in January. Uh, but a short, what you're doing is you're basically borrowing a, a share from another person and selling that share immediately, and then uh, you are buying back that share at a, uh, you know, if the short works out, at a lower price, 
So you give the share back, you buy it back, then give it back, and you get to keep the difference. So if you have a $50, uh, if you buy or you short a stock that is at $50, you uh, borrow a share at $50, you sell it at $50, and then when the price of that share drops to $40, you then buy it back, give, uh, you buy it back for $40, and then you give the share back to the person who owns it, and you get to keep the remaining $10. Uh, that is what it's shorting a stock is. And so what when you're shorting, so this guy was shorting nickel, the price of nickel, on uh, what is called the London Metal Exchange, the LME. LME and uh, he was shorting it because he believed the price of nickel would go down because uh, he wanted to increase production apparently to some like insane levels. And so with a greater, uh, he so he uh, owns a, a nickel production company, and so he wanted his company to produce more nickel, putting more nickel on the market, which would uh, bring the price down. So that was his bet, and what happened is with the invasion of Russia, um, and, and this is a kind of a, a normal thing, uh, so nickel uh, mining companies and just companies in the nickel industry in general will uh, place shorts on the price of nickel. That way, if the price of nickel does go down, uh, their business is hurt because you know they're not being able to sell the nickel that they're uh, mining for um, the, as much. Um, but because they have these shorts, it kind of lets them still, you know, at least uh, benefit some from the drop in the price. So it's kind of it's kind of hedging their bets a little bit. And so this is a common practice to do this. Um, but he was shorting at just enormous levels because he believed that his company was going to produce a ton of nickel. And so. Um, what happened is when Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, Russia has an uh, has a, a huge uh, precious metal and mineral um, supply, and so the price of nickel began to increase. And as it increase increases, what will happen is. Uh, a short position. So this guy had sh his short positions. Uh, very often, a brokerage will uh, demand will do a what is called a margin call, and so they will demand that you uh, basically sell uh, and 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 close out your short positions. Well, when you close out your short positions, again you are buying back the share to give back to the owner of the original shares, the original owner. Okay, so when you are forced to close your position, you are forced to buy that price buy that those shares so when uh, as the price went up uh, this guy and others uh, in the nickel industry were forced to buy back uh, their shares and close out their positions well uh, as they do this this is what is called a short squeeze so this is what happened back in January back in January of 2021 uh, with uh, GameStop is that as you as more and more uh, people grow, uh, close out their positions that will just lead to a higher and higher price uh, price surge, uh, which is indeed what happened. Um, and so as this happens, um, you also will then have um, people who are still shorted uh, be further and further in their losses. And so what happened is that the price went up so much that, and they were, and this company, uh, uh, Sing Shang Holding Group, was so, basically down so much, they had lost so much money that they couldn't cover their margin call anymore. Um, and so they were uh, involved uh, with um, uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, and so J.P. Morgan uh, is doing their margin calls, but they're not able to cover their margin calls either. So they, uh, so basically, it's margin calls all the way down, and the price of nickel continued to go up so much that uh, the um, 
that everyone involved uh, was basically unable was was going to have enormous losses, and that this uh, Singshan Holding Group company was essentially probably going to go out of business. Not only that, but four or five brokerages of uh, kind of that were all members of the London Metal Exchange, where all of these uh, all of this you know. These trades were taking place would have also uh, gone out of business uh, because they were. Uh, it would have kind of had that trickle down effect that I was talking about. Okay, so what you have uh, is the potential to basically have enormous losses all across the board. Uh, you have the potential to have multiple companies uh, and brokerages, uh, institutions, either losing a ton of money or uh, possibly going out of business because of one, you know, uh, sh- uh, bad trade essentially. Um, and so what happened is, and, and so, okay, all this is fine, but really this is just the same story uh, as the GameStop story in last January, just applied to nickel. But a couple of reasons why this is different. Number one, uh, commodities are just different in that uh, the everything that, you know, like commodities are used in everyday products. And so when the price of a commodity like nickel goes way up uh, that means uh, that that people and produ- and people who buy and use nickel are kind of unable to um, they have no idea essentially what price they're going to buy it at um, it, it, they stable prices are usually going to be better because then they you know you can plan for those expenses well um, so that's one reason why it's different but the other reason why it's different is the London metal exchange LME decided to um, basically cancel all trades that took place on March 8th when this happened. So all of this was taking place at like 5.30 in the morning within the matter of like 20 minutes um, because it happens just really quickly. And what they did is they essentially just went back and canceled all those trades that took place, which is absurd. Um, That is absolutely absurd. Okay, so you have two parties willingly taking, uh, doing these trades, okay? So uh, the Singshan Holding Group company was willingly engaging in these shorts. Uh, the brokerages were willingly uh, engaging in these shorts. Uh, the uh, people uh, who's, um, who would later uh, basically benefit from these uh, price increases were uh, willing uh, to do these trades. So this was consensual all the way around, which is the basis of a market economy where you have buyers and sellers uh, mutually agreeing on an agree on uh, an exchange, and so you have this. And then the London Metal Exchange comes along and says, "Actually, no, we're going to invalidate all of them because, well, uh, this is it, this is has the potential to have enormous losses." Which again, like this is it. it was, it's different than the financial crisis in that this isn't banks doing this. Um, banks are involved, but it's not like going to crumble the entire financial system. Okay, so it's a little different than that, but it's similar in that what you're having is essentially a, an entity stepping in and making sure that uh, businesses that have done something stupid and very well could fail because they did something stupid, made it a dumb trade or a bad investment or whatever, uh, there, you have a, another entity coming in and saving the day. Which is, again, going against that market principle. And the reason why this is a big deal is because what it does is it, it means that companies can, are, can be more uh, lax, right? So they know that, oh, well, if I make a bad trade, I don't want to, obviously. But if I do, I know that you know either it's not going to count because the London Metal Exchange is just going to cancel it or the government's going to step in and back it up and, and bail me out. Okay, So it, it, just, it, it allows for that kind of mindset to creep in, which makes companies make stupid stupider and dumber, stupider is not a word, but dumber and riskier uh, uh, bets, which is which is bad, which is going to be bad for the economy as a whole. And what's a 
like vital part of the market economy is businesses businesses failing because they are not uh, either uh, the most the, the best allocators of capital, the most efficient al- al- allocators of capital, and so because of that, they will kind of go by the wayside. So this is a, a, the essence of a market economy, and as we allow these other entities, these centralized body bodies, to step in, uh, we are moving further and further away from a market economy. And so what the uh, London Metal Exchange is likely going to do now, according to people in, you know, that are, are experts in this, is they're probably going to likely institute reforms that prevent this from happening in the future. And so they're going to prevent reforms like, or they're going to institute reforms like position limits or greater transparency on trades, which sounds good. Okay, and of course they're going to want to make regulation uh, so that this doesn't happen again in the future. But what those those regulations are going to do is again they're just going to uh, make the market less efficient. And so it's just is less efficiency all the way down. Uh, the reality is, as you know, we uh, as thinkers and economists have uh, talked about since you know the last you know 200, 300 years, is that the market is the most efficient way of distributing resources. We know that it has proven to be true again and again and again and a centralized body whether it's the london metal exchange that thinks they know better or knows what's best whether it's the united states government or whatever a centralized body cannot efficiently allocate resources and so the uh, more prosperous a society will be uh, is a society that allows the market to have freedom um in as many ways as possible and so the more we interfere in that uh, the more we are sacrificing prosperity uh, or sacrificing uh, efficiently distributing resources and this is uh, this is a pretty big deal and so what's likely going to happen now is like i said these regulations are going to be put in place but also this is going to stain the reputation of the london metal exchange because companies are now going to see well if we do business on the london metal exchange then there is a potential that they could be canceled and we cannot trust that our trades are going to go through so the market will take over eventually the market will find a way um, because uh, money is, is going to uh, they're not going people institutions with money aren't going to trust them anymore uh, and so the market hopefully will figure this out but it's going to be forced to figure it out probably in a less efficient way than if the LME had just let the thing ride um, and so uh, that's it for today's podcast uh, thank you for listening uh, I hope that you will like subscribe share and do whatever you can to make this podcast go far wide and I hope you will join again next week